So today, week four of summer challenge of our summer challenge series called Gadgets and Gizmos, and uh, today we're going to be talking about how how uh, really God made you to know Him, and uh, and and we're going to be touching out of Acts uh, 17. Uh, but what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been talking about an awesome organization called Bags of Hope, and, and a, a friend of mine growing up, uh, her and her husband uh, started this organization when they began to uh, interact with uh, their own foster care kids, and and. And last week, uh, Pastor Frank really made a, a, a clear a call for you to engage with this organization. And he said, we, what, what, what they do is they take, um, well, she'll explain it to you. But he, he, said to, he, said, he said last week, we should do all that we can to take and turn tra- from trash bags to duffel bags. Um, for $25, you can buy a duffel bag for a kid in foster care that literally travels around in all of his, uh, from place to place, sometimes with just a trash bag. And you guys responded to that in a pretty uh, major way. In fact, it was one of the first Sundays of the year that our mission giving outgave our regular giving. Um, and so, congrats. yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. And so right now, check this out. We were, we, last week, just the kids alone, the kids, I mean, a bunch of kids raised over $1,000 for this organization throughout the week. Um, but right now, we're at a total of $6,500 that we've raised for, for you guys, which is so cool, yeah. Uh, but today's not over. And, uh, and again, what we want to do is we want to turn trash bags into duffel bags. And I, I think we can do that. Maybe we could hit 10 grand today, I think, if, you, if, you, if we try real hard. Um, if the Lord would so put that on your heart today that you would respond with giving, uh, you can do that online. You can also do that through our giving boxes. Make sure you put bags of hope um, on your checks if you're going to do that or mark it on an envelope. Um, but we're going to be looking forward to do that. So without further ado, we actually have Kim Gagney, the founder of Bags of Hope, with us today. So welcome her as she comes to the stage. Well, hey, Kim, um, it's so cool. Kim and I grew up together over just down the road at South Attleboro, South Attleboro Assembly of God. And, uh, uh, but your story kind of leads you into foster care and adoption. And so why don't you just uh, go ahead and tell us, kind of start, start from the beginning and make your way through. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so thankful to be here. This is the first church that I've ever spoke at Bags of Hope when it wasn't a kickoff for Bags of Hope, but that people have already begun raising money and uh, getting behind the the heart and the vision of Bags of Hope. So I thank you for your hearts for, um, you know, just walking alongside of us through this. I am going to give you a speed version of our testimony. like Brandon said, very tied together with foster care adoption and how the idea for Bags of Hope um, was birthed inside of us and what the Lord did with that. So uh, here's the rapid fire version. Um, My husband, John, and I, shortly after we were married, we gave birth to one um, biological daughter named Grace. um, And we had been married about two years. And we really, really wanted a big family. And the Lord had just put that inside of us for a big family. So um, not long after having Grace, we began trying for number two and, that, and just ran into all kinds of struggles and issues. And I found myself just really questioning the Lord's um, plan for us and why would we have this vision inside of us and this burning inside of us for a large family and then be limited by other things. And as we began to pray about it, my husband kept saying, you know, we've always really thought about foster care or adoption. Maybe we should pursue that. So we began classes through Massachusetts, through the state, uh, to become licensed as uh, foster and adoptive parents. And it was in those classes that 
all of a sudden our eyes just began to open to a world that we were just totally unfamiliar with. And during that time, a friend of mine had emailed me just that simple scripture, true religion is caring for the orphan. And it just began to really well up inside of both of us. And as we took the classes, we got licensed. And shortly after being licensed, we um, got a phone call for an 11-month-old baby boy. And uh, we, we were, you know, overwhelmed and excited. And we went to pick him up. And, um, you know, the whole, the, all of a sudden, you just realize, like, what these plans that the Lord had all along in store for you. And it was supposed to be a really quick, smooth adoption. And it was one of those cases where anything that could go wrong went wrong with the court system and the situation. And so about six to eight months into it, we received a phone call from one of the social workers who said, you know, this isn't going to work out. We're going to have to move him back home. Um, you know, you should start packing his things. And I just, you know, we were melting and melting and melting. And it was very overwhelming and couldn't figure out why we were on this journey. And we heard silence for six months and then all of a sudden got a call one day that the judge had ruled and that he was staying and we were going to move forward with the adoption. So after that process, I was, um, you know, we moved forward with that adoption and I was said to John, okay, never again. That was <laughs> all, about all I could handle <laughs> of that emotional roller coaster. Um, but it just kept eating inside of us and, and, and just the, we knew how many kids were out there and we started seeing faces and names and we started knowing the needs that were out there. And so we said, I said, you know what, selfishly, I, I don't think I can do this again emotionally, so let's just, you know, try on our own to have um, more kids. So we made appointments with physicians and all of these things and I just could not get a piece about it, about moving forward and not adopting again. And so I said, let's do 30 days of like praying and fasting and try to see what the Lord has for us. And it, on the last day of that 30 days, um, I was sitting at my kitchen table and the Lord clearly said to me, you don't, this is not a problem. This is the plan. And all of a sudden, all of these medical answers I was looking for, all of these problems I was trying to solve were just wiped away as I just realized that this wasn't about an issue, this was about the Lord's plan for us. So the next day a social worker came over and uh, John said, hey, I think we've decided to adopt again. And the social worker said, okay, it's gonna take a while, we gotta get all your information up to date. And um, the, that night, or maybe the next day, we were, uh, I was at Target with the two kids and that social worker called and he said, I have a favor to ask. And I was thinking, oh, okay, you must need more paperwork. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he said, um, we have a little boy in our office who we don't have a home for tonight. He's two. Would you be willing to take him for just tonight? And um, we had never really thought about doing something so uh, urgently, or um, but we did. And the social worker said, and by the way, he had a baby sister who was born today who we need you to take as well. So <laughs> just like that, you're seeing this, like, uh, now we're four, four kids. Um, and that's, so that, that's one trip to Target, man. Holy cow. He <laughs> actually went back to Target after that. Yeah, I bet you that, did. that was about a 20-minute drop, you know, between getting the call and the drop-off. That's awesome. So, so that was March. The following March, we took another emergency placement, which also um, has turned into an adoption. And the following March after that, a sibling was born to the two that we had taken on that day. And so within 
within a couple years of my cry out to the Lord of how could you do, how could you, you know, answer this cry. We had six kids under the age of eight. Um, and that's cool. they're currently um, two, three, four, six, seven, nine. Uh, and it's um, just amazing to see, you know, what the Lord has done through that. Um, so that's, that's how we, that's how, that's our walk and journey through the adoption and foster care system. It has been amazing. It has been beautiful. It has been better than I could have ever thought it would be. And I think that um, it's just a daily reminder of how good the Lord is and how good his plans are. But during the classes that John and I first took, back when we first got licensed, we were sitting in class one day, and the social worker said to us, just so you're aware, when kids are removed from their biological homes, it's usually an emergency situation, and when they're removed, they typically, the social worker takes a trash bag and puts all their favorite things in a trash bag, and then that stays with them and carries them, they carry that with them as they move from home to home. And John literally screamed out in the class, like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, he was so mad. And we talked about it for weeks, about how awful it is that kids were traveling around with trash bags. And it kept, I mean, every time we talked about it, then I read, I read like two more books of kids in foster care, and both of them had traveled with trash bags, and they talked about traveling with a trash bag. And so it was always bothering us. And when we went to pick up our first child that we adopted, he was 11 months old, and when we got to the foster home, we took Shane, and the foster mom turned and said, I have one more thing for you. It's down in the basement. And she came walking up with a black trash bag. And we got in the car. We both looked at each other and said, okay, that's it. And on that drive home down 195, we said, let's do something about this trash bag thing. It's driving me crazy. Um, you know, so all of our kids have those monogram backpacks that they take to school. And so I said, what if we just do like a monogram duffel bag for some kids in foster care, and then we can do it kind of for Christmas as something our family does. So we decided to do that. This was um, six years ago. And we started talking to some people at church, and they said, oh, we'd like to do that too, and we'd like to do that too, and we'd like to do that too. So all of a sudden, I stood up on a Sunday morning and said, does anybody want to help John and I do this little Christmas project? And I called the social workers and said, you know, can I have some names of some kids? And the phone calls did not stop coming. More kids and more kids and more kids. And one social worker was telling another social worker who told another social worker. So that first year, we did 100 duffel bags, monogrammed. And the monogramming is the most important part to me. I know there's a lot of things out there, but a lot of children in foster care don't have something with their name on it, something that's theirs, that, that belongs to them. And many times their names are spelled very particular, so it is really special to have something with your name on it. But as they move from home to home, a lot of bags and belongings get left. And so this is an identifier. It keeps their things safe. And so it's very special to them. Um, so I started going around to group homes and to kids in foster care and saying, what would you want in the bag? Like, what would be most important to you? And almost every child said to me, my own blanket. They said a lot of times you go to a house and it's cold or they don't have soft sheets or you know, I want my own blanket. So we did blankets in every bag. That's a priority. Um, they also said bath products. They always want to have their own bath products and um, comfort items, pillow pets. Uh, so we've tried to keep the bags really 
to what the kids have asked for specifically. So we put three items in each bag, and we usually, it costs us about $25, a little bit more to fill each bag with the monogramming, the duffel bags. Um, and the first Sunday when I stood up to announce this, a gentleman in our church stood up and said, hey, I own Sandy Lane Sports in uh, Warwick. I will monogram every duffel bag for you for free and donate um, a good portion of the bag. So he has done that for us since day one. They've monogrammed every bag, which has amazing, been amazing. Yeah. It's a lot of bags and a lot of monogramming. <laughs> um, so that was year one. Year two, we did um, 450 bags. Year three, we did 1,000. Year four, we did 2,500. And this past Christmas, we did 5,000. Um, so it's been awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things that if you said to me, oh, you'll be, you know, going from church to church talking about this project while we were driving in the car on 195, <laughs> I'd have said, no, 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 we're just doing a couple things for Christmas. Um, but, you know, the Lord had something totally different in mind for this because there's a couple things that have happened with Bags of Hope that is so much more important than a physical duffel bag that's just, an, just another item. We have the opportunity now to lift each one of these kids up in prayer as they walk this journey of foster care, waiting for adoptive families, which is a hard, hard journey. The other thing is um, it has awakened the church to the need for foster families and adoptive families. Uh, when you stand in a room with 5,000 duffel bags, they would, they would fill this entire, they, like the, the room we were wrapping in and filling in it was this size, maybe bigger. And you're seeing them stacked taller than your head, and every bag is a name, and it represents a child. You all of a sudden realize that there's this whole world out there that most of us don't even realize exists. And, you know, as we've traveled along, um, the Lord has given us this beautiful gift of continually running into kids that have the bags that have been carrying with them on these journeys. And a social worker last year had to fly to a different state to pick up a child who had a failed adoption. And she texted me from the airport. The little girl had the bag over her shoulder. And this, it was one of the first bags we had filled. And the social worker said to her, do you know where you got that bag? She said, yes, a church gave this to me. And she said, what, what, do you know what was in it? She named every item. And she said, this bag has been with me through multiple foster homes, two failed adoptions, and I just keep, it stays with me. And, you know, and I think I, I picked up um, a teenager that was homeless last year off the street, and I looked in my rearview mirror as he was getting in my car, and he had his bag slung over his shoulder, and I had known him from when he was in foster care. But, you know, it's just, I, as I walked in this morning, Katie and Brandon were both telling me about, you know, kids that were here this week doing summer challenge who raised their hand and said, I have a bag. And so as we've been able to do this, because there should be around 10,000, there should be around 10,000 kids now in Mass and Rhode Island who have received the bags um, altogether. And that means that we're praying for 10,000 children. And that means that, um, you know, that they've all been given something tangible. But what's happened as we've been traveling around from church to church is in every church, one or two families have begun to foster or adopt. And from that, the adoptions just keep multiplying, and the kids that are fostering just keep multiplying within our church families, which has been the most important part and most beautiful um, part to John and I. So, um, that's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, that's so it's great. been really cool. So that's the, that's the, the, the general wrap, story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so this is what I love about, what I love about uh, Bags of Hope is that these aren't 
kids that are, are somewhere else. A lot of these, they're in, they're, they're in Pawtucket, they're in Providence, they're local um, around here, just even in our towns. And when you hear someone say, hey, I have one of those, like, it's legitimately affecting children that we know. It's not just, I mean, there are a couple of our families here even um, have interacted with this organization, not from within the church, but as they're bumping into foster care um, outside of here. And so what I love about that is that it's proclaiming the image of God within a child, um, not just within a church, but outside in the midst of the, the day-to-day operations, day-to-day activities that they're in, and to, to declare a value of them that they are God's, that they are God's children, uh, and they love him, and they, he loves them, and they're, they're, they're hanging around with this bag that's an image of that it is just so, so incredible to me. Um, and so, Kim, maybe uh, just, you know, maybe right before we end here, just one major takeaway that you've maybe uh, personally that you said, okay, this is, this is something that you're systemizing and you're structuring. You guys are great leaders, incredible families. Um, but personally, how, how have you changed uh, over the last six years uh, in terms of uh, as a result of Bags of Hope being now as, as a part of your family and your church family? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just truly, you know, trusting the Lord's hand in everything and trusting that he has it and that he's, he is the one that's in control. And, um, and I just, as I was preparing for this morning and just praying on my way here, I just kept hearing the Lord say, like, my ways are not your ways. Like, my yeah. thoughts are not yeah. your thoughts. And just knowing that there's so much um, there's so much of a bigger piece to this. And I think about, like, driving that day with John in the car, if we had said, oh, like, we're so busy, and we're too busy to do the monogrammed bag thing, maybe we'll just, like, you know, think of something else or something simpler, or if we had never taken that step. There's a lot of kids in our church that have been adopted because of Bags of Hope. And so when I, they run by me on Sunday mornings, I think, like, that was just one little step of obedience that we didn't think was that important we just thought oh we'll do this for christmas in a more of a like a nice project way and what the lord's done through it um has been so much bigger which means it wasn't our idea to begin with (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah and we we do have multiple families within our church that have taken the steps into foster care or adoption um, and so if that's something that maybe the Lord's been placing on your heart, you're hoping to get some, some next steps on, um, connect with us at the Connection Center. We can connect you with those families and get you some more information on that. Um, but then also just something that we hope to continue to partner in with you guys and, and, and help along the way as we engage with that. I know we had multiple families just volunteer for you guys last, last Christmas. And, um, and so we continue to uh, do that as, as I think this is... Probably one of the most tangible ways, I think, in our area where you can see uh, Genesis 1 and you can see James chapter 1, kind of James, James come out um, of the church into the local community. It's, a, it's an amazing type of concept. So we're super, super pumped, Kim. Thank you. you the only thing I wanted to say just going forward for this year is um, last year we did Florida, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. This year our plan is to continue to make sure every child in Rhode Island and Massachusetts we did probably... Um, 75% of mass last year, we'll do the last 25%, which is a pretty big portion. It's at least three or 4,000 kids. And then um, we have been asked by Ohio, New Hampshire, Maryland, uh, Maine, and Florida again, and a few other states to launch this year. So we're in the process of um, launching and organizing. And so we'll kind of be the central hub for bags in all those states. So amazing. it's been really yeah, amazing. Cool. Well, hey, real fast, let me pray for you guys, and then we'll continue. God, we just, uh, we're blown away uh, by how you can take, um, you can take personal experiences and birth resurrection out of them, and you can uh, declare the value that you place on people. 
uh, and children, but also declare true religion in the midst of all of, uh, in, in the midst of the, this really overlooked world in many different cases. And God, I pray today that you uh, just put an exponential blessing on Bags of Hope this year, that they could just double and plus some, Father, as they continue to do all of these states that you are placing within their, uh, their stewardship this year, God. Um, God, we're so thankful and kind of just in awe, blown away uh, that you continue to move in the midst of your in the midst of your church, God, and, and I, we pray um, that although we see what's going on here, that you can do exceedingly abundantly more in the lives of these kids through uh, through Kim, John, and the Bags of Hope family. So, God, we're just in awe that you've asked us to be a part of that and help us steward that as well. Um, God, we ask you to bless them in a major way. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you again. All right. Thanks, Kim. Man, so that's awesome, um, and and for me, uh, for me as I, as I was I was hearing the reports from last week, I'm like, man, the ch- you know I go away for a Sunday, and all of a sudden the church like just completely re- that's awesome. We'll, we'll go away some more Sundays. You guys continue to do that; it'd be fine. Um, but I'm just excited to see what I've said from the beginning since I came here to the church. It's been about three years now um, that I've been here. I said. I just can't believe the missional heart that this church has, that there's a, just, there's a hunger for application, not just a hunger for knowledge, but there's a hunger for actually doing what the Bible teaches, and that is a result, a direct result of the fruit that you have where the gospel literally is pouring out from within you. Um, it's not about getting better, it's not about, about you know, pulling up our bootstraps and trying to earn the favor of God. But that it's because we love Jesus that we spread and, and show the love of Christ through all sorts of different ways. And we know that he gives us resources that we steward for the glory of God. We talked about that all last year, that he gives us those sorts of things. And the way that you guys are continuing to do that with your time, with your money, even with your energy, all of your talents and gifts, the way that you are doing that, I can't begin to explain to you how pumped and proud I am to be a part of a church that does that. And so continue to do that. Looking for, I can't, I can't even believe, we haven't even started to talk about mission yet, and you guys are already doing this. That's incredible. And I'm looking forward to uh, the next year as we dive more and more into that. So hey, why don't you grab your Bibles? There are Bibles right around you. Um, and so why don't you grab one of those? We're going to just for f- like about 10 minutes talk um, through Acts chapter 17 together. Um, and and just and kind of just put uh, some some context around some of this stuff. In Acts chapter seventeen, which is page number I don't know, someone sc- scream out that page number nine twenty one. Page nine twenty one. If you want to read along there, nine twenty one. And we're gonna pick up with a guy named Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Actually, Luke wrote more than him. We didn't know that until uh, someone counted. Uh, but, but Paul wrote most of the New Testament, really one of the, one of the leaders in the New Testament church, the first church uh, back in the first century, and, uh, and, and is talking about how to see uh, God make its way into our community, make, its way, make his way into uh, who we are as a church, and, and all of that sort of thing. And he finds himself in Athens, which is one of the biggest, it's, it's pretty much like Providence. It's, a, it's, this, it's this move of 
towns and cities and philosophies. There's colleges and universities in Athens. And he finds his way into one of the marketplaces of Athens. And he begins to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and how it can change lives today. It can continue to change lives no matter what, because where there's always new life that can be found right here in the midst of this one. That's what Paul's message is saying. He's saying there's something about the resurrection of Jesus that continues to change lives today, and, and he's talking about that. And so he begins to, to talk about it, but it begins to, there, there's a big crowd that, that starts to go, and he, and he says these phrases, um, and he says these words in Acts chapter 17 that, that kind of blow me away. In verse 22, he says this, so Paul standing before the council, addresses them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was talking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations through the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, why shouldn't uh, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. And so really, just real fast today, I wanted to talk about how the resurrection can help us do one thing. Uh, it helps us do so many, but today just one thing is that the resurrection helps us know God. We are made to know him. And the Bible talks about this in this amazing way. It, it, it's not just knowing as like, I have an acquaintance, there's actually a writer in the book of Psalms, he says that he, he pants for the presence of God. He pants for the presence of God, like he desires to know him. And this is really close, personal way that he interacts with who God is. And so he says, God made you to know him. So because of the resurrection, Paul is going to tell the men of Athens, he says the resurrection is going to say, number one, that he has made you to know him, that we can know God because of the resurrection. Now, this is maybe, maybe to you today, you said, okay, yeah, I know him, um, but maybe it's something that's kind of like I kind of consider him periodically. Or maybe for you, it's that I know about him because my mom or dad brought me to church every Sunday when I grew up. Maybe for you, it's I know him because I do come to church every single Sunday. But this is not the type of knowing that Paul is talking about when he says, I, you can actually know God. You can actually know God. In fact, Christianity is the only religion that says you can know the God of the religion. He's accessible to you. Almost like he can be your friend. So he talks about to the tomb of the unknown God because our God actually isn't unknown. He can be known. And so we have this known idea, this personal sort of relationship that we can engage with, with God. And it really starts off with how we begin to approach him. Because he says he's close. 
He's there. He's waiting for you. He's kind of pulling towards you. I, I remember we were talking with some of the kids um, after one of the worship gatherings this week. Um, and, and typically, you know, da- kids have this like big major dance party sort of thing. Like, and I, it just, you know, people all the time ask me to dance. And I just, you know, I try to, you know, I try to downplay it. I say, you know, can't really dance, you know, whatever. But you know, anyway, th- there's this big dance party most of the time. But what we did is we stripped down one of, the, one of the morning gatherings and just had Pastor Chris lead us in a song. And literally, we had seven and eight-year-olds coming up to us and saying, I, I just couldn't stop crying as we sang Amazing Grace together. And what, what that concept is, is this desire that the, the God of the universe who did create you is actually trying to call you to him. You begin to experience, oh, I'm in community. This feels good or this feels right. And I don't know what this is. I mean, I just thought it was a church or I just thought it was this thing that we went to. But really what it is is the God of the universe that's calling you to him and saying, I want to know you and I want you to know me. And so he says, because of the resurrection, number one, you can know God, not as just this far distant kind of deistic sort of idea where he's far away and kind of just controlling things on earth, but that he's actually there in the midst of all the things that you're working through right now and all the things that you're walking through, and he just wants to be next to you. So you can know God because of the resurrection of Jesus. And number two, you can not only know God, but you can actually have life through God. You can have life through God because of the resurrection. There's a life that you can experience. How many times when you were growing up did you have this image of God? that you thought God was just this big guy with white, like a big white beard down upstairs just making sure I don't screw up enough to get me to heaven one day, right? And many times we grow up with that image that God is this big angry guy and it's just as long as I don't screw up enough, he won't smite me in some sort of way. But really what the Bible teaches about Jesus is that he invites us not to live just this nasty crap life, but he actually invites us to live life the way that he intended it to live. Like if you want to fully enjoy your life, even if you have the best life in here, man, you could be like knocking it out of the park. You know, you drove your Benz in here today and you got the big house on the hill, you know, all that sort of thing. And, and literally Jesus says there's more to life than what we experience. Almost like he says there's more to life than what we see. And so he, he actually invites us into a life that's, that's, that's a beautiful life, that's a big life, that's life the way he intended it to be. He says you can have a life through him. And so Genesis 1 and 2 really points out this whole idea that there's rest that we can have in Christ when we live in a group of, in a, when, we live, when we experience life in a church, when we experience life through worship, and when we actually have a purpose to why we are here on earth. And so he says, you can have life. You can do that. And then lastly, because of the resurrection, we can know God. We can have life to God. But he says, we can actually turn to God. Because here's the thing. Here's what we'd end up doing. Okay, everything feels good, right? This is cool. We got like 500 people packed into a room right now. And we got more people online and everything. It's so much fun. This is so cool. And we could leave here today and be like, you know what? I'm going to leave here today. I'm going to be pumped up, ready to go, enjoy my life. And, and I'm just I'm so glad that God renewed me today when I went to that church or when I went to church. But really what he invites us to do is not just to, to know him, to live life, but to really be back in the way that he planned your life to be. Like he had a plan for the way that you should live life. 
And so he says that it, Paul is telling these men, of Athens, these men of Athens that because of the resurrection, that we should repent. And this is like this really old, dusty word sometimes, right? Like really, we're going to use the word repent in 2017? Yeah, because you know what it is? What that means is that it's a turn back to the way God intended you to live life. Like I've been living life a certain way, and I think I'm knocking it out of the park. I can't believe and begin to imagine what God had in store for you if you just would turn back and repent towards what he planned. Because he invites you into this way of life that will blow your mind and will literally begin to show light, the Bible says. Cast light, see, have blind men see. People hear things that they've never heard before. People see things that they never heard before and be attractive in a way that literally shows God all the glory uh, for your life. So he's talking to the men of Athens like this. He's like, yeah, guys, 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 listen. God is not this far off, don't screw up, he's not going to smite you sort of thing, but he has a plan for your life and he wants you to live the life he intended you to live. We've acted as our own gods long enough, and let's be honest, we, we, we're pretty terrible at it, aren't we? And so what God's doing, he's inviting you to live a life that says, I can know him, and because you know him, the power of the resurrection will bring new life into it. So for you today, if, if you're in a place that you feel like it's dead, the invitation of Jesus today is to experience the resurrection where you begin to sense new life right here in the midst of this one. See, the Bible isn't an invitation for you to just one day just kind of hunker down and maybe if I'm good enough, I can get to heaven. That's never what the Bible asks you to be a part of. The Bible asks you to be a part of today is the story of Jesus and when the story of Jesus is the identifier for your life, you will literally be, be, be a part of what the God of the universe intended for this world. And you'll begin to see the restoration of all things take place because that's good news for us this morning, amen? And so today, you know, so many times we look for things um, and what we don't know is that we're searching for something that we haven't learned to call God yet. What God did is he created you in the image of God. And in the image, uh, when, when sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, it breaks that image. So meaning that you have all these impulses back towards God. You have all these impulses back towards the way he created you to be, but, but you're not really making sense of them yet. And what you're beginning to do is you're trying to find the sense of life that Paul talks about we've, that we find in the resurrection of Jesus. You're beginning to find that. You, you try to find that life through different types of success. Or you try to find that, that life through different types of promotion or maybe a certain lifestyle. You try to find that sense of life maybe through a substance or some sort of uh, broken relationship. You're trying to find all of that in different ways. And every single time, and I know you know this because I've lived it and I know this, is that those things fall horrifically short of all the things that you would hope your life to be. There's always something more. There's always something deeper. There's always the next step that you could take. And what Jesus is inviting us to today is to find rest in him, that life actually can be found in him, and that we can be a part of all things, be part of the restoration of all things because of him. That the search for meaning, the search for life, and the search for desire literally comes to an end when we sit and rest at the feet of Jesus this morning. And so, man, I, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that that can put some words 
to the impulses that you've been feeling lately. Maybe that can put some words to the sense of life, season of life that you're in right now, that there can be new life right here in the midst of this one. And, and we can do that together as a church. Amen.